Glad to be here with you and worship with you this morning. Thanks to the choir ensemble and the worship band. Uh, we're going to turn our attention now to Scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13 this morning. You can grab a few Bible or follow along on the screens. I will read it for us this morning. Um, this is our reading from the church calendar, and it will be our gospel text this morning. It says this, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Do you pray with me, Lord Jesus, as we uh, learn from the gospel this morning, this story of how you healed this woman. I pray that you would uh, show us what is in this text so that we might understand how to best follow you our rabbi, our teacher, our Lord. Would you get me out of the way, Jesus, so that you can do the work that you want to do in this place this morning. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we can see that there are two reactions, two hearts that are revealed in our story. And this is a story of confrontation, isn't it? Jesus is in trouble. He has done something that everyone would probably agree is good, but he has done it at the wrong time. But in fairness, the story asks us to observe two competing good things, right? Two things that with intent probably at the beginning were created uh, for good. Right, We can see uh, Jesus is in trouble. He probably just couldn't be at peace as he's there teaching in the temple and he sees this woman. And scholars speculate about exactly what was going on that made this woman walk hunched over for 18 years. And you can imagine the inconvenience of having this type of posture for that long just how hard it would have been to be bent over year after year, day after day. And some scholars wonder if 
this wasn't just a physical ailment, but we see here that Jesus is speaking about the spiritual, psychological dimension to her physical ailment. And so there may be a connection between her spirit and her being bent over, this difficulty of being hunched. So Jesus is not at peace because this woman isn't at peace. And as he teaches, he experiences uh, this sense that this woman needs his attention, that she needs to be healed. And so what does he do? He goes over and he says, you are healed. And he lays his hands on this woman in front of everyone. And during a time of high teaching, a holy moment in the temple, Jesus' attention is on this poor woman. And so we can see that sometimes when we define persecution, we think of it in these really extreme terms, like uh, somebody out in a place where Christianity is unaccepted by the government, and so the government would persecute them and say they can't even worship. But an everyday, ordinary definition of persecution can also look like you don't always get praised for doing the right thing. Sometimes you get nailed for it. And Jesus, in this moment, is in trouble. He's getting nailed for doing the right thing. But if we see from the synagogue ruler's perspective, we see that he's trying to enforce the Sabbath. This is his tradition. This is what he's been taught is his job. And he wants to make sure that people are able to worship in the right way, in an orderly fashion. And so we can see here that Jesus is in a clear violation of the temple rules. And so he tells him he's out of line. Actually, he does more than that, doesn't he? Says that he was indignant. And this word is really the word that I want us to think a lot about this morning. The dictionary defines indignant as displeased, annoyed, exasperated, affected with indignation, wrathful, passionate, irate, feeling wrath. As a person is exasperated by unworthy or unjust treatment by a mean action by, or a degrading accusation. And so there's this personal sense by which this synagogue leader is indignant. He's offended by what Jesus has done. He's taking it personally and he's upset and he's very indignant. And so the question might become, how do we evaluate how do we know where our indignation belongs when we have two competing, seemingly good things, protecting the Sabbath and also healing a woman who was sick or it was hurting for 18 long years physically? How does one judge? Most of our conflicts are really two competing good things. Two things that at the beginning had some side of the story that got them to where they were. And we know the synagogue's ruler's side of the story because we have our Old Testament and we understand the teaching about the Sabbath and how God made it holy. And so the origins of this teaching on the Sabbath were something good. And yet here Jesus is and he's doing something new. 
And he's doing it in a new way and a time that was unexpected. And so eyes must have gotten real big as he is doing this miracle and bringing in a new way to worship, a new understanding of worship. And maybe you've been in a situation or maybe you're in a situation now where it's not like there's two bad things, but it's more like how do I order the good things? How do I prioritize? How do I make the right decision? One of the places that I believe helps us so much when we're in these moments of conflict, when we see two competing things and we don't know which one is right, one of the best things that I could do that I think the scripture really points us to is to pause if we can and do a heart check. To look internally, to assess our heart and to see what is in there. Because as I read this story, maybe it comes to mind for you as well. But out of the heart, right, the mouth speaks. And so we really see what is in the heart of the synagogue leader. We see that inside of him, he's quick to be angry and to take things personally. And the teaching here is not actually to never be indignant. In fact, we learn that Jesus was also indignant. In Mark chapter 10, it says this, now people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them but when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and told them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so we're not called to be robots or to not have emotion. What we're called to do here is to actually ask the question, What is in my heart. What is in our hearts? Luke 6 says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man bears good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so as we do our heart check this morning, as we think about the things that make us mad, upset, frustrated, the things that we take personally, we might want to ask the question, are they the same things that make Jesus upset? Wouldn't you want to know if you were upset or indignant about something and Jesus wasn't, so that that way you could just let it go? Or wouldn't you want to know if Jesus was upset about something going on that you weren't even paying attention to, so that you might join him in whatever mission he had to put things right? 
Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, Will we let God be as he is, majestic and holy, vast and wondrous, or will we always be trying to whittle him down to the size of our small minds, insisting on confining him with the boundaries we are comfortable with, refuse to think of him other than in images that are convenient to our lifestyle. Or the French philosopher many years before him, Voltaire wrote, or in the beginning God created man and in his own image and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Right? And somewhere along the way, ever so subtly, this synagogue ruler and his group have just barely gone off course and wherever that first moment of going off course went, it just built and built and built until they got to a place where their own self-righteousness was being conflated with God's righteousness. And what they thought they were doing in the name of God, they were actually needing to see a new way and to do a heart check and to wonder, am I speaking for God or am I speaking for my gang? my crew. And, and in this posture of thinking about what makes us upset, what makes us indignant, it's really difficult, right? Because we have to do some evaluating. We have to go, wow, that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good. In fact, the, the social psychologist Roy Baumeister says that most people, if you ask them, could name 15 goals pretty easily. Like 15 things I would like to do to be a better person. But of course, once you put all those 15 goals down, you look at them and you go, okay, all of these are in competition with one another. I want to be in shape, but I want to be a more present father. Both of those things take time, and I cannot do both of them easily, right? Whatever those things would be for you, those 15 things on that paper that all compete with each other. And one day, he was interviewing a bunch of elite generals. And Baumeister says that when he was interviewing them, he asked them how they would evaluate the goals that they have for themselves and achieve their goals. And he said it just so happened to be in this group that he was evaluating, there was only one person who had a good answer to the question, how do you prioritize your goals? Just so happened to be the woman in the room, the only female general. She said what she did is she writes out all 15 goals and then she starts at number three and she erases the list. She says, there's really only two things that I can do, right? And it's interesting because this is exactly how Jesus teaches us to find the greater good. One day he was asked, what is the summation of the law? Luke 10 accounts for it this way. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. This is the greater good. So would you conclude with me this morning with a heart check? Dallas Willard writes it this way. Those with a well-kept heart are persons who are good for, good for and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. So it's almost like if you imagine a tea bag going into water and then saturating that water, that we want to be around Jesus. We want to have Jesus in our heart and be near Jesus and prioritize Jesus with our heart, mind, soul, and strength so that when we get into those moments where we have to make a choice and react, that we're reacting the way that Jesus reacts. That our emotions are well-placed in him. And so an exercise that I invite you to do would be to just look at all the times that the Psalms talk about the heart and the way that they talk about the heart. And just think about that in light of how Jesus wants to be with you. Psalm 26 to whatever is on your mind, you could just bring it forward now. It says this, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Like the Psalms just inviting us to go to Jesus and say, would you examine me? Would you take a look? I got some things in here that don't feel right or I'm struggling with, and I just want you, God, to examine me. Look at me. Or in, in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So maybe if you just look at how you're spending your time, about the way you're making decisions, you kind of follow a trail of where your treasure truly is, and then there you might find your heart. This is where my heart actually is, not always my stated goal, but if I follow my treasure follow the things that I think about all the time, where I spend my time, then I'll actually discover where my actual treasure is. And it is not easy, right, to spend all of our time thinking about one thing and then have something happen in our lives that may be, make us reactive or conflictual and then all of a sudden just turn into that great Jesus-loving person. And so that's why the invitation is to follow your treasure, to know how you're spending your time. Are you spending it with Jesus? So we get to those critical moments. You can have the heart that would respond the way Jesus would respond. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So once again, we just want to be aware what are we taking in? What is out there that we're taking in? What is a culture just not even like letting us, putting alerts up anymore, just, just giving us messages just any way they can through media, just getting inside of our head, into our headspace, in places where 
if we would think intentionally, we might say, this doesn't belong here. I don't need to be looking at this or spending time with this because I want to be with Jesus reacting the way he would react and learning how he would react. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Meaning you don't have to understand everything that you're going through right now. In fact, a lot of times when you're following Jesus, you don't know all the things that are happening, why they're happening. You just don't. Because God is at work in ways that you may not understand. God is at work in your difficulty. God is using your sin, Christian, in order to redirect you into more holy ways. He's using the mistakes and the bad things that happened to you and through divine creativity is imagining a new way to bring something good and beautiful and kingdom from your circumstance. And so you don't always have to sweat knowing the answer on every last little detail. What you do need to do, though, is just put your heart with him. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So even our physical bodies, right, in a culture that's obsessed with external external appearance, how everyone looks on the outside, I don't think it's hard for us if we could just go walk down to the beach right now and you can just see everybody's posturing to look as healthy as they possibly can. But when was the last time you saw somebody who cared more about their inner spirit, who cared more about their heart than they did about their external experience? And yet that's what God's looking at, right? Final one, Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So we ask God to search us, but then we also just ask, would you renew us? Would you make my heart new? And really what we're inviting God to deal with here is our unsatisfied desires. Augustine once wrote a long time ago, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, speaking of Jesus. We just want to order our desires correctly, right? I want to be not like the synagogue ruler who just subtly missed the point to the point where he's losing his mind over what Jesus is doing, which is actually the new thing that God wants to do in the world. We don't want to get to that place where what the new thing God is doing in the world is what's making us indignant. Instead, we want to join with Jesus to react the way Jesus would react, to love the way Jesus would love to weep when we need to weep like Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, or to rejoice like heaven rejoices over one repentant lost sinner. You may have somebody that God has put in your life and in your heart that if you love them, people will look at you and be like, 
Why on earth would you love that person? But it could be that special burden, that one assignment, that one person that God has put on your heart that God is calling you to love and you to care for. And we want you to have the kind of heart that would break for the things that break God's heart so that that person could be loved. That individual next heart could know and be made new. And so, if you take nothing else, take this. When you are in a situation where things are going down and you don't know what to do, do a heart check. Look for Jesus. Invite him in and ask him, is he upset? And what he is upset over. And then move accordingly out into the world. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us with uh, the difficulties of our lives. Um, Difficult decisions to make, judgments to make all over the place, relationships that are complicated, Lord. We just ask that even though we can't know everything, what we can know is that you hold our hearts, that you are the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, and that you are there to pick up the pieces, to clean up the mess, to be in the details, and so we can find peace knowing that you are at work. We place our hearts in your hand. Lord, make us... uh, desirous of you, may you be our treasure this week. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.